How do we know God is even real? Are the Gospels even reliable? Where do I go for answers? What is Christian apologetics? Welcome to the Reason Together podcast. The place for your apologetic questions with Walter Falcon. It's been a while. It's it's been a long while. It's uh it's been a rough while. That's what it's been, hasn't it? COVID, lockdowns, president changes. It's been a long, rough while. My wife broke her foot, but it's been a good one. It's allowed me to have time to think and actually work on nothing. Actually, I've been been really busy. But we're back. We're going to hopefully keep rolling these on out. So, let's get into our topic for today. We're going through, quote, Contradictions in the Bible by Atheist.org. And I'm going, Contradiction by, quote, Contradiction, and refuting them. I don't think there's much I can say as an intro to this one. Rather than, I believe the Bible does not error. By what I mean that the Bible doesn't err, I mean the original copies that were written by the disciples do not err. I am not saying that the collection of the 66 books in which we have today have no errors. All the errors that are in our Bible today are scribal errors. We'll get to that at the end of the episode. But if the word is God spoken, then it is impossible for it to error. Let's get started. The first quote-unquote contradiction is the Sabbath. Why don't we keep the Sabbath? You know, in Exodus 20 verse 8 states that we are to keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. While in Romans 14 verse 5 states that one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike let every man be fully persuaded in his mind the command in exodus 20 verse 1 was given to follow god's example of a day of rest however jesus talked about this when talking to the pharisees in mark 2 verse 27 quote the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath the point of jesus's statement was that the Sabbath was not created to bind them to the law, but to benefit them. Furthermore, the spirit of the idea of the Sabbath is continued in the New Testament, but all the Old Testament Ten Commandments are restated in the New Testament, except for the commandment to keep the Sabbath. Like I said, the spirit of it, by setting the day apart, is continually stated, but not to keep the Sabbath. Finally, there are very good reasons for our Sunday worship. We do so because Jesus raised from the dead on Sunday. Matthew 28 verse 1. The fact that he continued to appear on the following Sundays, according to Acts 2 verse 1, the early church realized the pattern and worshipped on this day regularly. Acts 20 verse 7, 1 Corinthians 6 2, Also, John calls Sunday 
the Lord's Day. When Jesus appeared to John for the last time in Revelation 1 verse 10. Because of this, we worship on Sundays instead of the Old Testament Sabbath. Next is the problem of seeing God face to face. Genesis 32:30. I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. John 1:18. No man hath seen God at any time. What? How does how how do those coincide, right? Well, if God stated to Moses that no man can see God, then how did he see God face to face? I don't know. But, I'm just kidding. Can a blind man talk to you face to face? The term face to face means personally. Moses had a personal conversation with God. But Moses never saw the face of God. Exodus 33:18. Then Moses said, now please show me your glory. The Lord answered, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will announce my name, the Lord, so you can hear it. I will show kindness to anyone who I want to show kindness, and I will show mercy to anyone I want to show mercy. But you cannot see my face, because no one can see me and live. Alright, next is the problem of incest. I know this is kind of an icky and kind of taboo type of subject, but we're going to get into this. Deuteronomy 27:22. Cursed be he that lieth with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. Also Leviticus 20:17. And if a man shall take his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, it is a wicked thing. But we see in Genesis 20, 11 and 12, Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. Alright, as we just heard, God in Deuteronomy 27 verse 22 condemns incest. 1. Abraham is a man, just like you and me. He is not above sin. Furthermore, and the command to not intermarry in your family wasn't given for another 500 years after Abraham lived to Moses. The Bible uses the term brother and sister or son and daughter, such as in the case of Jesus being the son of David, Matthew 21 verse 15, so the term does not indicate how close in relation they are. But I find that that kind of hangs on by semantics and I don't believe it. I believe they are brother and sister. The thing is, God blesses people despite their sin. Everyone other than Jesus Christ himself that was blessed in the Bible sinned against God and his commandments. And the thing, like I said earlier, the command to not intermarry wasn't given for another 500 years. He can't be held accountable for something that wasn't given yet, even if he did. We still find grace in Christ, and Jesus' grace extends back in time the way it extends future in time. Next, we have the issue of punishing crimes. Ezekiel 18.20 The Son 
shall not bear the iniquity of the father. But Exodus 20 verse 5, I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. This one has a quick and sweet answer. It does fall on what the author is using the word iniquity to mean. In Ezekiel, it is talking about eternal punishment. But in Exodus, it is using the word as a temporal iniquity, that is, that the sons to the third or fourth generation will have to deal with that father's problems here on earth, not that the father's sins will cause the sons to not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, our next one is the problem of temptation. Because in James 1.13, says, Let no man say when he is being tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither can he tempt any man. Genesis 22.1, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. What? How is that possible to go together? Good question. I'll explain. This is an easy one also. Just <coughs> stop using King James Version. So you might be asking, well, what is the real translation? Well, drumroll please. <laughs> Tested. Okay, we can move on. Nah, I'm just kidding. Alright, we'll talk about this. God was not interested, nor did he plan for Aram to kill his son. The fact that the angel stopped Abraham from killing Isaac shows that he planned to test, keyword, test, Abraham's faith in God by giving over Isaac. It is the willingness to surrender Isaac to God, not the actual killing of Isaac that fulfilled God's expectation of Abraham. Make sense? Alright, now, I talked earlier about scribal errors. What I meant by scribal errors is back before 1455 AD, when the first Bible was printed on a printing press, people or scribes had to handwrite book after book. These scribes were given a copy of a letter and had to write what they received time after time. Of course, some of them did make minor mistakes. But what we have found is that all of the found mistakes were trivial. It never affected any core doctrine. Also, it is so easy to figure out if a scribe changed something because there were more than one scribe. Let's just say we have 10 scribes and two of these scribes hated Christianity. So they decided to change what they received. Let's also say each scribe wrote 10 copies of the letter. Now we have 100 copies of the letter. But because those two changed what they wrote, 20 of these 100 copies now are completely different from the other 80. So we could see that 20 are different. So those 20 would be thrown out. Furthermore, those scribes have strict rules they had to follow. If found, they would probably be killed or seriously reprimanded. But scribes were able to clarify something. I'm going to quote from J. Warner Wallace from coldcasechristianity.com. 
He is one of the leading cold case homicide detectives in the nation, and he has been on Dateline more than anyone else solving cold cases. Kenneth Moreland has given J. Warner Wallace the uh, kind of nickname of the evidence whisperer. So I'm going to quote from him. Quote, there are also places in the text where scribes have added something that complement the information provided by the original author. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Acts 15, 33 and 34. The second verse here does not appear in the earliest manuscripts we possess. In this case, the scribe may have been aware of a fact of history, that Silas stayed in Antioch and simply wanted to complement Luke's account with something the scribe knew to be true. And there are also locations in the text where scribes have added clarification to a claim offered by the original author. John 5 verse 2 through 4. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Well, here the scribe appears to have added a line as it also does not appear in the earliest manuscripts. Once again, the scribe is not changing John's original claim about the Pool of Bethesda, but instead seemed to try to explain why the waters would be moving in the first place. End quote. Now, also the most extreme example of something being changed from two different books that I have found 2 Chronicles 22.2 Isaiah was 42 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. But in 2 Kings 8.26, Isaiah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri king of Israel. So what do we see here? How could he be 22 and 42 when he took reign? Well, we know it is not possible. But if we back up a little bit in 2 Kings 8 to verse 16 through 17, in the fifth year of Jerome, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, Jerome, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. So, if he reigned for eight years, he would have died at age 40. And then his son, Isaiah, took over, so he could not have been 42. He must have been 22. This is the most extreme change in the Bible, and it's still there, because we do not want to intentionally change the text further solidifying that we can trust what our Bible has. But if you notice, 
that did not change any core doctrine. It was a, a slip up of a four to a two. That was it. That is probably one of the most, if not the most extreme change in the Bible. What I have said today has partial and whole quotes. I figured instead of relying on my own qualifications or lack thereof, I relied on quotes from The Big Book of Bible Difficulties by Norman L. Geisler and Thomas Howe. All rights are reserved to Baker Publishing Group. I would like to take this moment to suggest to you to order this book for yourself. It is a fantastic book that gives clear and concise answers from Genesis through Revelation, going book by book and objection by objection. Hey guys, so next month, February 22nd through March 1st, me and my wife are going to be gone. We're going down to Laguna Hills, California for the Maven Conference. The past year has made one thing very clear. We live in a culture full of chaos and confusion and helping our children and students navigate this chaotic culture is more challenging than ever. The confusion abounds. Can boys be girls and girls be boys? Deep down, we are all racists, right? Is the Bible sexist? Is Christianity anti-science? How can a loving God allow suffering? Is our true identity our sexual identity? Does the Christian faith need change to survive? Do you have answers to your kids' most pressing questions? That is what I'm going to be learning down at the 2021 Maven Conference. It's going to be a fun weekend. It's perfect because it's over my birthday week. But I'm going to meet and listen to great, I mean great people. I'm going to be learning and listening to Brett Kolkel, who is an author and the co-founder and president of Maven. Alyssa Childers, she is an author, a speaker, a podcaster. But you would mainly probably know her from a little girl group back in the 2000s called Zoe Girl. She was one of the singers. Now she is one of the greatest apologists we have today. Then next, I'm going to be listening to Sean McDowell, famous father. His father is Josh McDowell, the author of Evidence That Demands a Verdict. But Sean McDowell is an author and professor of Christian apologetics at Biola University. And then, you guys already know about him, but Jay Warner Wallace is going to be there. Author, speaker, and former cold case homicide detective. And also, Jonathan Morrow, director of culture engagement and immersion at Impact 360 Institute, which I've talked to you about. And on Thursday, February 25th, the day before the conference starts, Brett Kokel and J.P. Moreland is doing a conversation on culture. So, that is going to be a fun week for me and my wife. We're going down to Crossline Community Church in Laguna Hills. I've asked that you guys would pray for our trip and pray that this trip will be successful and beneficial to me and to my wife. That I can come back being equipped and re-engaged and rejuvenized to continue doing this. This is the calling in which God has placed on my heart for my life. Because looking back at my youth group, there's only like five of us left at most that have solid faiths in Christianity. So, 
you want to help in any way, I have a new email for our podcast and for Isaiah 118 Apologetics. The email is isaiah1.18apologetics at gmail.com. You can email me there, or if you see me personally, you can talk to me about how possibly I could use your help with this trip, but mainly I could use your guys' prayer. Thank you.